Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Dan and Helen Duchet. We're at Freedom Hill Vineyard. Uh, it's June 29th, 2018. And we'll start you off by asking you, why wine? Well, it's, uh, it's not actually wine for us. It's, it's the farming aspect. Sure. We're a commercial vineyard. Uh, family held. You know, we got into this... 1981. And I, I would say that uh, it began, I think, primarily to, to the, the very basic part was I was sort of interested in viticulture. Uh, in a prior life, I'd planted a few vines in the backyard, that kind of concept. And then Helen and I, we came from back from different marriages, so we got together and just decided to try to make a new direction. And I was kind of a lucky but unfortunate girl. I lost my dad when I was 24, and he was the largest oil and gas well drilling contractor east of the Mississippi. Worked himself to death, literally, and I knew I was going to have some money from that, and I wanted to do something that really uh, honored him and my mother for what they had um, given us, and at first, I don't think my mother <laughs> was too sure it was going to be it was going to be an honor because it was such an iffy business in 1981. But so, and Dan had the interest, and and I got really interested pretty quickly, didn't I? In terms you of, did. And yeah, we, started, we both bought in. We did. And it just became it was a lifestyle lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. We had no children, and so it was. What do we do? How do we raise a family in a, in a what we thought would be a productive, safe, good environment? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. Came and did it. How did you choose your location? Well, as it turned out, we, we were part of a group of people during that era, that 81-ish time period, unbeknownst to one another. It just sort of happened. It just sort of kind of organic or whatever the word would be. And we got a little book that talked about how do you find property. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very basic. So we went around and we drew maps, you know, okay, this elevation is good and so on and so forth. And then one Sunday morning, the Statesman Journal local newspaper had an article, I don't know if it was front page or whatever, but it was these two people that sold real estate, the Winquist and Seeley. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that I used to work with Ron Seeley. I was a juvenile court counselor, as was he. And so we had a personal relationship. He had left uh, some time before, so we felt comfortable calling them. And so they showed us around. This was one of the first pieces that we saw, and we liked it. But at that time, this, this area was not well represented in the wine industry. Sure. It was all Dundee Hills type stuff. And so we were really far from uh, the epicenter at that time. Mm-hmm. We- they had a lot of properties to show us that other people bought, and they were really thinking this was going to be a, had some potential. Mm-hmm. It was all wheat and grass and had all been cleared. It was a formerly a prune orchard, and there's stories to tell about that. But um, yeah, and this guy had built this house here, but we didn't buy this part of the property initially. The, the, um, 
we bought 60 acres of the property and then we had the right to buy 20 more acres and then this, this 60 acres and it all came together I think by 1983 something like that yeah and the house was the house was built for a bachelor and we transformed it and the fields were developed by us we were really lucky because everything was pretty much uh, open fields so that was really easier we had great aspirations we thought oh we can plant 80 acres like that you know and uh, we're just gonna we're just starting to talk about getting it the last few acres planted <laughs> out and we can tell some more about that too yeah. so actually acquiring the property was a bit of providence mm -hmm. you know just the process where we were living in South Salem we bought this 60 acres out next door here no power no water no barns nothing and we didn't come to this party with tractors in the garage. We, we, we don't, we're not a farming family. And so I think we thought we were just going to commute and do something. <laughs> we didn't know. No. And it, we were over walking around admiring ourselves and the property. And the guy who was living here walked across the field, introduced himself. And within two weeks, I think he probably saw this coming. Yeah, Dustin with his two on a... On a backpack. Yeah, remember? Dustin yeah. was an infant. That's um, our son who's our vineyard manager. He, Frank was his name. He came and he, didn't, he said, I lost my job with the State Department of Education. I've got to go to Washington, D.C. Would you be interested in renting this house and property? And we said, yes. So we moved over here. The people that we bought the house from in Salem said, we'd like to move back into that house. <laughs> so we rented that house to them. And then when it became possible for us to buy this place, she said, I'd like to buy my house back from you. So it was just kind of one of those, you know, when it's working, sure. don't mess it up. Just yeah. let it happen, and, and it did. We felt like things were working, <laughs> didn't we? We had <laughs> good energy going. <laughs> it, it, yes. Yeah, it, it, was worked. Great. it was a great time. Yeah. It was. Well, it was hard. It wasn't oh, yeah. that great. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know that romance of the wine industry? You've heard that phrase? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not so much. So, yeah, and Dan didn't quit his day job till 1984. I had quit my main part of my job because I was having kids. And You were. Yeah. Anyway. Do you want to ask us a different question, or should we keep going? You can keep going if you want. I was, what I was going to ask next was how you, how you learned, how you figured out mm. what you needed, and how you started learning how to grow grapes. From friends. Well, actually, the first thing we did um, when we get, got into this thing, we became aware through a mutual friend in the juvenile court, again, of a small vineyard up on the top of uh, Ankeny Hills mm -hmm. out there in South Salem. And so we went and visited that woman. She was a widower. And that was our first really tromping through the grapes experience. We helped harvest. And so that, I mean, that's really the first time we'd seen vines, to be just really candid. Um, we did not take classes, as, you know, formal classes. Mm -hmm. We just started doing seminars and reading the textbooks, you know, the Winkler book out of UC Davis and just that sort of thing. But I would think primarily it came from a mutually shared need of everybody else in this area that got in at the same time we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we met out South Salem at Nate's, uh, Nathan's wine shop. You, I'm sure you've heard this story before. Yeah, that was it. All no, those just, people. 
was just, that was our life. It was truly our life. Yeah. And our friends and our, still our very close people, <coughs> those people that we were together with in the beginning of the Oregon wine industry, second beginning, because, you know, there were Ponzi's and ERAS, and, and we actually, you know, light on them some too, but really it was, it was the group in Salem that we got very close with and um, have just, you know, been like family to us since 1981. That's true. Vacation together, raise kids together. Have uh, deaths and yeah. marriages and all yeah. kinds of things all together. Sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It's in those days nobody came here prepared. Well it might have been Dickie Rath would probably disagree and <laughs> let, but those guys didn't know anything either. You know, really. They they were engineers. Mm -hmm. You know, the um, now people come from elsewhere they're well capitalized, they have the research, they have consultants, and they really don't need the way we did. And we're just grateful that we all got together and we learned about wine. That's, that's where we tasted our first really good wines. In those days, well, Myron, Myron Redford, mm -hmm. he, he was very helpful in introducing us to good wines, us being the group. He, he would bring in a flights of $300 bottles of Burgundy, which that long ago, that those were expensive wines. And it was like, oh, you know. Yeah, oh, this, and they were in a brown bag. Yeah. <laughs> we had, what? We have to guess this? Yeah, but this anyway, is, we learned a lot. And that, did. Yeah, it was yeah. really great. And I don't know, that's, we learned a lot in that group. And we, we did. developed a lot of relationships that carried over. And I don't know, it all worked, you know. I mean, um, I'm think, I was just thinking about Al McDonald. I mean, he and Dan sort of had the same background, and they were the bestest of our friends. And and he ended up being, you know, the teacher at Chemeketa, and we all kind of, you know, said, this is great, Al. You always wanted to get back to academia, but, you know, we all, we all did the did same you? thing. We all did the same thing and worked together and learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's not, there's not a lot of secrets in farming. Mm -hmm. um, pretty basic. It's more of an execution issue and keeping your mind open, you know, acknowledging that you really don't know everything and that you, know, you can learn from somebody who just walked into the business today. They know something you don't that should be applicable. And so we just kind of did that together and learned from one another. Um, we've had people drive up our driveway and hello. And so you just kind of you kind of take them in mm -hmm. and talk things through, and a couple of them bought. Well, they actually came to us because they bought property in the area, not right here, but close. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're you know they're commercial vineyards now, and we've formed relationships with them. And you know we don't consult. Well, I don't want to do that anyway because it's if you start taking money, you're obligated. You know you need to write reports and such, but. You know, I feel it's, we, we benefited from the, the elders when we were in that age, and so this is a pay it forward and mm -hmm. repayment thing, and feels good. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and you're really good at it, too, so. <laughs> He's a good farmer. He didn't really want to be anything but a farmer when he made the transition, and um, yeah. that, I think, really kept us focused mm -hmm. on really doing the very best we could with our property and our our terroir. We could talk about that, that whole farming wine thing. Oh yeah, go for it. We, our first, we, our first harvest was 85 and 
and I think we had 13 acres, and uh, we, har we, we had no idea what was out there because it was, it was inconsistent. We didn't thin fruit. We didn't estimate fruit. We had no idea. And so we thought we'd harvest it with our family, and then we needed, oh, geez, this isn't enough. We need friends. <laughs> this isn't enough. Church people started coming out. And it took us four or five days, and we thought we'd be out, get it done in the morning, and that'd be the size of it. <clears throat> the first ton we took to Bethel Heights Winery. They were friends at the time. and Still uh, are friends. Well, that's true. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Very good friends. <laughs> And we took it there with the, with the notion of learning how to make wine. And so Terry, uh, I, I worked a cellar, cellar rat for him, and learned how you make wine. And he tootled me. Is that a word? I don't know. I think Can you tootle somebody? Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask Terry. He'll know. He told me what to do to make wine. Do this. So I did this. You know, do the pressing and so on. And we took that wine when it was bottled, and that was our marketing gig. We drove around to everybody we could think of and here's some wine and here's our story and we think that that helped us start to get contracts. Mm -hmm. It helped a lot. I think so. A little bit. Yeah, because there were way more grapes than there were wineries at the time. That was another thing we didn't think about. What are you going to do when you, these come on? But we got on it once we had that wine. We really, mm -hmm. we, we ended up having really Mm -hmm. It helped, was helpful. We met a lot of people. In we, fact, I just got an email from Dick Erath this past spring, a couple, three months ago. He says, I found those two bottles of wine. And I was insulted because we thought that he had drank them, but he didn't. <laughs> and he says, what should I do with them? I think I can put them in an auction and we might be able to sell them. I said, well, that's wonderful. And he did. Well, I don't know if he did or not. Maybe he did drink them. <laughs> but Helen is really good at marketing. She's, she's good at getting on the phone and calling people and pinning them down. She's an ABCer. And, and Dustin's um, taking after me. He's really he's getting good, good at that, too. He's good, too. Yeah. My, can I just, my favorite thing was um, I was really pregnant with Mackenzie, and, and we were out peddling this wine around McMinnville. And we walked into this little old train station and I met this mm. guy. I could tell he was maybe a couple years younger than me. And, I, and he said, come up from California, and he showed us his panel car, and it was Ken Wright. And, and we just, we all just hit it off. I mean, we gave him the wine, and we started talking, and we ended up inviting them for dinner, he and his wife at the time, and the boys, and the boys got to be friends, and the rest is history. I mean, so we, we've, it was fun. And we always laugh about it, because oh, I was bringing wine. Well, we still sell to him oh, yeah. since 1987. That's a long-term yeah. relationship. Long relationship. Yeah. And so thank you, Terry, for helping yes. Dan make the wine. You know, you know, God bless Terry Castile. <laughs> He's a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And and we have some, it was just a great thing that he helped you make that wine. because it, it was. It was really good, too. And it's, the, but what stimulated that thought is that that's what, how we learned not to, well, that I didn't want to become a winemaker. Winers are cold, wet, and dark. And your real job is selling wine. I mean, that's, that's your job. And didn't want to do it. So we, I did that for two years, to con second year to confirm the first year's findings. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, we'll leave the, the glory for those others. <laughs> and they can travel and, and work like crazy hours. And um, 
uh, yeah, more thank power them so to much them. because they yep. do such wonderful things with our fruit and mm -hmm. spread it across the country. And it's really cool. It's really cool. It's going to be quite an honor. It is. It is. Yeah, it really is an honor. It mm -hmm. kind of comes up with all this with all the people that we sell our fruit to. So. And let's see, so then we went to the train station, and Ken bought the wine, and then he had made Panther Creek. We used to go up there and pour all the time, and that was a mm -hmm. lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun. We did. We worked we really do. hard, though. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, that's the first, you know, the first two or three years that Dan was, like, still working, and I was, like, these little tiny kids, and I'd take Dustin out to the vineyard, and I think we had one working guy, kind of, but I was like pregnant with Dustin sitting on the ground, you know, pruning and trying to get it That's done. True. And it wasn't a lot of acres in, but it still was 13. <laughs> and Dan would come home and work, work, work. And I mean, it was really, it was really an experience. And yeah. we were out here in the middle of, I mean, we, there was nobody around a lot. There, you know, there was no houses around us then. There's houses now, but there was, except up there, there were houses. But right in this area, there were no, sorry, there were no houses. And, and uh, it was it was an interesting deal. We were, it was an adventure. Yeah, yeah. We reached a point where we had to bite the bullet. Can't do two jobs. What's the future going to be? If it's going to be farming, you really need to be a farmer. Mm -hmm. And so we did it. Helen kept working and having babies, and part time. It evolved. Yeah. Because yeah. I was doing this stuff too. Mm-hmm. So what I, was, what I was asking is how you decided what to plant, how much of it to plant. Did you, did you try a bunch of varieties, or was it kind of Pinot Noir from the start? Or Okay. Well, everybody knows that you have to plant Pinot Noir. And so we did. And we didn't like Pinot Noir wine at the time. Jeez. You know, but it, it's such a sophisticated wine that you have to taste it, and you have to learn about it. And then you just acquire this taste, and all of a sudden, that's what we like. Mm -hmm. You know, we had California palettes because that's what was on the shelf at the Safeway. You know, those Cabernets and those Rieslings and that kind of stuff. Uh, but we knew you had to do that, and so that was primarily it through most of the initial acreage. Then we put in some Chardonnay. It was the old Davis 108 clone, which was less than optimal. Uh, but it still made some decent wines every now and then. <laughs> and then we put some Gewürztraminer in. Uh, that wasn't a good idea. Uh, it was there for 15 years, yeah. something like that. In two years, it actually paid for itself. <laughs> and so we just didn't fit. removed it, and it, that went to Pinot Noir. And it, it's, so we're primarily Pinot. Mm -hmm. We like Chardonnay uh, a lot. And so there's about 15% of the acreage of Chardonnay. And we have Pinot Blanc, nice niche wine. Uh, that's done well. You know, Ken makes it. St. Innocent makes it, and now Kelly Fox. I think that's that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the history. We had we had Pinot Gris for we had ten acres of Pinot Gris uh, for um, a number of years that we did very very well with. And but um, part of our story we'll tell you about is phylloxera, mm -hmm. and so it's gone. And we just decided we weren't going to replant it. We that was a silver lining for phylloxera. Uh, got got out of Pinot Gris as a farmer. That's a cash flow crop. You know, you, you, money comes in and money goes out, but none stays. You know, that kind of thing. You can, you know, you feel like you're making money, but you aren't. And I think it might be that way for wineries to a degree. And the last variety we have is one acre of Tempranillo. Huh. 
cool. I just wanted it. <laughs> How does it do here? It's doing very well. Yeah. It's, it's still young. Uh, there's been two full-fledged uh, Tempranillos made from it. Uh, more recently, we got into arrangement with Ilhi, and they're just putting it in some rosé. Mm -hmm. Nice. And it does well here. But yeah, that's how we decided what to do. See, so you mentioned meeting Ken Wright kind of by happenstance. I'm curious how you developed your other sort of contacts for grape sales and how you developed those relationships over the years. Uh, I was going to start with Fred Ardberry. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, we, we um, did the same thing with Fred Ardberry. Um, you know, went down the street and gave him a bottle of wine, and he and Dan hit it off. He liked the wine. And uh, at the time of his death, he was using 44, 40% of our vineyard. And he made wonderful wines from our fruit. But we learned a lesson um, in the sadness of his death that we would never sell 40% of our vineyard to any one person. And we kind of regrouped. One of the good things that came out of that was Mark Vlasic was his, um, his protege. Protege, yes. Mark was a protege to Fred Ardberry. And, you know, Mark started using our fruit uh, for St. Innocent. How do we, was Lang the same story? I can't remember. I don't know. Um, we, we delivered a lot of wine to a lot of wineries mm -hmm. and also went to events and you just start rubbing shoulders and you network. Mm -hmm. It was a lot smaller. It was. <laughs> and yeah, I don't, I don't really remember. I don't know. He was, I think Don ended up buying some fruit from Alan Joni or something and, that, and then that kind of mm -hmm. evolved something like that. When I say Alan Joni, that's Seven Springs. That's right. And um, anyway. And let's see, who else? Well, we, you know, we did that whole thing and we sold, for a while we sold to Adelsheim and Ponzi's and e There's Eras. probably been 40 wineries. Yeah, we just, and some, you know, it just, it just depends on what they would want and what we would want and how the relationship would work. Dan would sort of assess the delivery time sometimes and the whole picture and, and just, it just, but we've, we've stuck with some and have really great relationships with them and Mm -hmm. Harvest is a high stress situation. Mm -hmm. And if we think it's high stress, the wineries are in ultra frenzy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just nuts. And so it's that how y'all do under those circumstances is what's going to make or break things. Sure. And so we're, we filtered one another out to the point where we have really good relation, working relationships with all these people. They're all really high character people. They know how to make really good wine. They know how to sell wine, and they pay on time. It's all those kind that's, of things that we wonderful. looked at. Yeah, it's a it's a great thing. And they looked at the same thing with the kind of fruit they wanted and that kind of thing. So anyway, it's all yeah. it works out great. We have great clients. <clears throat> I think one of our really another one of our fun people that we have now is we have Ken Palo, who was Mark Wasik's protege, <laughs> <laughs> and you know was, <laughs> we knew him from years ago before he became Walter Scott and. Now he's buying fruit from us too, and it's pretty. It's pretty yeah. cool. Well, and Ken's son, Cody oh, Wright, yeah, Cody right? Wright. Purple Hands. Yeah. So yeah. he and Dustin now, second generation, have that relationship. Sure. And yeah, we, we, our, our nature of our, what we want is long-term relationships. That we don't sell spot market uh, anymore. Used to be when mm -hmm. we first started and had no idea what fruit was out there. I'd come in and say, "We've got fruit," and Helen would sell it. <laughs> 
should get on the phone and do what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have enough money that we could not harvest it. It was really important that we every yeah, we, dime came in. We, we had some money, but we didn't have that. We realized that we didn't have that much money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, I mean, it was all good, but we, we, you know, that's why I worked and. Yeah, we earned it. Yeah, we earned it. We didn't, just, sure. it wasn't given to us. Although I do appreciate my mother's, who's still living, she's 95. Her support over the years was phenomenal. That's right. She didn't Just yell phenomenal. at us or anything. No, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, you know, Ohio girl. You know, she, she was whole all new to her, even though there is a small yeah. industry there. It wasn't part of what she did. So. And, and my mother said to me after we showed her the property, well, not right away, several years later, she said, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody got honest about it. No, they let us do our thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm curious, as you develop the relationships with, with winemakers and, 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 and your clients over the years, how you balance the, their desire to have control over what you do in the vineyard with, obviously, your own desire to control what you do in the vineyard. Well, that's, that's part of that process. Mm -hmm. we, um, <clears throat> we know what we want to do, and so that's, we don't deal with people who come in and... Um, are overly instructive. It doesn't work. You know, sure. we, we just have to know. So that's part of the conversation you have. You know, this is how we do things, and we listen to say this is how they would like things, and they're generally the same thing. And we're very willing to uh, understand how much sun exposure a winemaker wants on fruit. That's really critical, mm -hmm. and it makes a difference on the style of wine they're making. Uh, we want to know. The crop load, that has to be compatible. We don't want to, we're not, a, this is a prolific site. It's, it's really, it'll produce fruit. And we're not a two ton per acre vineyard. And that just won't work. If they want two tons per acre, it's not healthy for the vine. Mm -hmm. You get too much figure, so that won't work. If they want to pick into little yellow FYBs, we did that for a while with Argyle. That doesn't work. That just is not gonna, that's a hard way to make a living. And, so, you know, you just kind of work these things out. Um, we've learned from our winemakers, mm -hmm. and we're still learning. We're changing. Yeah. You know. One of the biggest losses we've had in a winemaker that we, we've been dealing with was Patty Green, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and her mm -hmm. recent death. And I think it was so compatible and so um, instructive on both ends. You know, you guys really, you and Dustin and she had a great relationship mm -hmm. working together. Yeah, it is, it, you have to be really careful because this is business and it's personal. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that can go weird. It hasn't, but it could. Mm -hmm. And so one has to be really careful and respectful and both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're, we're not chopped liver, liver either. <laughs> Clearly you know? not by who you're selling the grapes to. It's pretty clear you got some pretty good product here. Yeah, we're, we're well represented, and we want those people to have the best fruit that we can give them, sure. and we want them to get rich. <laughs> and they do, too. So it's a good relationship. I'm curious how, since you started from basically nothing in terms of, you didn't have a farming background, you didn't have a grape-growing background, how you've developed your kind of grape-growing philosophy over the years, and, and, and how you would describe your grape-growing philosophy. Go for it. <laughs> you have one. Do I? Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, it's kind of like medicine, you know, do no harm, which mm -hmm. is sort of what we try to do here. Um, <clears throat> but we also want to be able to deliver the fruit, which is one reason we're not totally organic or biodynamic or uh, laissez-faire about the whole thing. You know, we, we want to deliver clean fruit at the end of the season. And we want to do that with minimal impact. We do kind of the integrated pest management concept. Uh, we recently decided, well, I should back up a couple steps. We were in live two different times mm -hmm. and just didn't enjoy that relationship much. Thought it was maybe just a little too intrusive. You know, I don't really care what Europe's doing, all due respect. To, you know, it works for them really well, but this isn't there, you know, or it's not South Africa, or it's not whatever. And um, I'm much more into the local influences, friends. You know, we, we're, mm -hmm. we have had experience, and people can, we can share that. And so at any rate, having said that, I'm going to contradict myself and say that we're now uh, certified sustainable by Food Alliance, mm -hmm. which is a massive certification program and they do all sorts of farms. Uh, but we just thought that the, it might be helpful to some of our wineries because their customers say, who are these people? Mm -hmm. Are they this, you know, how do you label them? And so th at the very least, they'll be able to say they're certified sustainable. Oh, well, wonderful, you know. And so that's how we're, we, we're positioned. And uh, we're kind of in a, a change right now. We're. Uh, with Dustin's energy and input, and get, we're getting larger so that we're more able to do this economically. We're trying to do away with herbicides. We're much more into working the soil under the vines. Mm -hmm. uh, and we think that's paying off. You know, the, yeah, we're, we're looking at things a little differently. Uh, does that answer a question? It does, but I'm going to follow up by asking, you mentioned integrated pest management. I'm curious what the, how that fits in. Well, that just, to con contrast that with, let's call it just traditional farming. Traditional farming would be, well, it's June 1st, going to go plow that field. Or, you know, it's just you, not a lot of thought put into the process. Mm -hmm. You apply this, you do this, you do that, you harvest, and you... You got to do whatever you're going to do. Uh, IPM is more being aware of the vineyard, what pests there are, the level of activity, mm -hmm. and making the least impactful impact, uh, what am I saying, input you can mm -hmm. to get to live with it. You know, we're, we're not out there spraying because uh, we're supposed to kind of thing. We're out there because there's a need to do it. Um, we're just trying to, to get a little more harmonious with, with the land and the, and the little people that live out there. Sure. So. So when you, bought, when you, when you moved here and you started, to, was your intention to make this a family farm? Was your intention to have your children take this over? Was that sort of the idea you had? Well, back then it was kind of hard because they were pretty little. <laughs> But no would be the real answer. <laughs> no. But as the years went on, and let's see, Dan was like really, really working a lot, and he was getting a little bit older, and I was really, really, really working a lot doing other things because we needed the money because we had phylloxera and we were replanting the vineyard. 
uh, it became really clear that we needed to make a plan eventually. You know, maybe not right that moment, but we needed to we needed to to make a plan. And um, you know, we always I think hope the kids might be interested, but you know, they we really encouraged them to do their own things. But you know, this guy Dustin went went and did his own thing, ran a little business, and then worked for somebody else, and um, said he'd come back. <laughs> And he's here, full force, and it's amazing what he's doing. Our children blindsided us, is what happened. Yeah, they did, that's we true. Went, we did the, uh, what's it called in Oregon State? The, um, the family farm, like it's a fam It's a, tra it's a tra generational transitional oh. business program. Okay. Anyway, and so we did a few of those conferences, and oh, you know, children need to be gone for 10 to 15 years. They need to have another career. They need to get their own networking. They need to come back value added, you know, and that's how these things work best. And so we told the kids, you need to do this, and they said, no, yeah, not interested. Yeah, that was 15, it. 20 years ago, right? And then when crunch time came, well, about five years ago, Dustin says, yeah, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> but we don't have 15 years now to do that. And so it was a compressed transition and integration kind of thing. And I don't know, our, our, other, our other two, our, our two other kids, they're both girls, Courtney, AKA Porter, um, had worked like for Rob Stewart and Terry and the, the cellar rat and stuff, but she was not really interested. She was more interested in being a Puna girl and she's an acupuncturist now. And Mackenzie, I don't think she really knew what it meant because she was younger mm -hmm. and she has a career, but when Dustin, got it. She said, oh, I want to help. So she is helping, too. She's, she's learning all the book work and everything. And actually, when we have harvest, everybody's here. The, everybody's here. In fact, I don't go out to the field as much because I take care of all the grandkids sometimes So because mm -hmm. I, I can't lift buckets like that anymore. <laughs> but but it's, a great, it's a great family thing now that's become. And Dustin yeah. is really um, giving something to our family by stepping up and taking, taking care of things. And he is. Big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's turned into now our focus is on the legal and how do you make this mm -hmm. happen, and you can't ensure that it can be successful. That's the biggest thing we've learned is the generation one to generation two. Yeah, you know, there's reasonable chances. Mm -hmm. Generation three and successive. Who knows? Um, so we're really in the midst of, of getting advice and consultation on how to structure things. Sure. We'd love it if this could turn into a, a first a century farm and then some kind of uh, something beyond that. Flavor of burgundy. <laughs> and maybe somewhere along the line someone will have that bug bite them that wants to have a winery. Sure. Could happen. So. So we mentioned a couple times and I also want to follow up about the phylloxera. So we've heard obviously we've, we've heard that from many people in the industry about that time. I'm curious what your experience was when phylloxera came. It was horrible. Yeah. I'm going to tell my favorite thing, you know this, I don't know if you like it, but is my favorite thing is I was quoted in a big headline in the Oregonian, it's like having cancer. Phylloxera is like having cancer. Yeah. Except that we recovered. Hmm. We, we were in recovery and now we've recovered and it's, it's a great feeling. But man, we were really lucky we had um, land that wasn't planted because mm -hmm. we started this big planting um, what do you call it? We started planting a whole bunch, <laughs> you know, and we had, and we, and it was affecting us financially. 
Um, we had wineries that really cared about our fruit and about our site and about us and, and helped us in that process with, with planting and long-term contracts around that. Mm -hmm. um, what else do you want to say? Well, I would say that in the beginning, we, we all understood that Phylloxera would be here mm -hmm. at some point. But availability of rootstock material, how it applies to Oregon, I mean, the, the nurseries really weren't set up at that time, and they were expensive. And that, at that time, we were able to plant, buy the plants, do the wide spacing and trellis and all that stuff for about 10% of what it costs now. And so that was a big deal. We knew we'd get phylloxera. We just yeah. hoped that it wasn't for a long time. You know what I used to do every morning at harvest? I would get down on my hands and knees with big basins and scrub mm -hmm. every worker's boot because I didn't know what vineyard mm -hmm. they'd been in. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, consequently, that's not how we got phylloxera. We're pretty sure we know how we got it, and it wasn't, it was from plants, but wasn't, it wasn't from our workers. But I'm like, oh my gosh, we did so much because we were so, we didn't want it to happen, but yeah. it happened. True. And it, it, yeah, it was pretty sad to see how it, you know, went out in its circular way, lens kind of way, and ravaged the vineyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a tough go. It, it came in on the material, because it wasn't just one lens. It was nothing's there, and then two years later, there's 20 lenses. It's like, oh. Mm. And so we, quick like a bunny, started expanding. And as other blocks decreased and reached maybe 50% of production levels, would tear that out. And so it was, it was a juggling act for, from about 2000 to 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've, that bubble, or actually, it's not. It wasn't a bubble. It was a, that dip passed through, and we, we we were really fortunate. We changed trellis. We changed planting materials. We really modernized it, set it up so if we need to do mechanical, we can. Mm -hmm. uh, it was great. The top material is different now. Yeah. We don't even think about it unless someone brings it up. No, I, <laughs> but yeah. it was it was a dark time for sure. No, I hadn't thought about it until you said you were going to do this interview, and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> it was rough. What about like the industry's reaction to it in general? You said you were you were ready for it. We've also heard people who were kind of caught blindsided by it. So I'm kind of curious how the industry at large responded to it. They're still responding. I mean, there's a lot of uh, self-rooted wines still out there. Sure. But you know, like yeah. like Ken would come out, and we would. This is when Ken was able to do everything. He would come out, and we would like we would. Before harvest, we would mark the parts of the vineyard that we didn't want, the, uh, the rows that we didn't want the pickers to pick because these vines are just not healthy enough. And he, we'd mark and, and have it so that he would have the fruit that he wanted, mm -hmm. you know, from the Vaudensville over there. And, and, and I think, you know, other, Mark did the same thing. I, I, you know, we, they worked with us to get mm -hmm. through it. Ron Kaplan and whoever, Mike, Michael Stevenson, they all helped us. Just, we did it all the same thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would say, too, you made me remember something. The Capitol Press used to ask me for comments about things, you know, a little bit. They, they find people that'll talk to them, and so, that, you know, it's a quick call. And, mm -hmm. and they, during that time, they wanted to do a focus on us. You know, what, you know, the whole thing. What is it? How, you know, but I thought, we thought, no. <laughs> no, the cancer, you don't want to be the poster child. <laughs> people run away. And, and so we, we declined. And, you know, I haven't heard from them for 15 years or so. <laughs> oh well. It's not all bad. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I would. People now don't plant self-rooted vines. Um, I, I just don't know how people are dealing with it. Um, secretly. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be yeah. yeah. What about some of the? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, there was a couple things I wanted to make sure I told you about because it's kind of cool. And one of them was we have this friend named Ken Brown who um, we went to church with, but he was also kind of the great person for um, the extension back in those days of the 80s. And, we got, and so we got to know him really well and still know him. And he said, oh, that property, that old Bursell property, uh, I, you know, Helen and Dan, I did some tests back in the 60s and that was the prime place to grow prunes, Brooks prunes. You know, Brooks prunes was really big mm -hmm. in this whole area. Mm -hmm. We always thought that was so interesting how prolific they said prunes grew here and then, you know, here we were growing grapes. So that was one thing I wanted to tell you. And then there was a vineyard here before us. And we really? and Dan might tell that story better than I, I can. I, I'll try. Okay. Yes, uh, Myron Redford. Myron pops up again. He, he bought the, our first fruit beyond that first ton went to him for his... Uh, Nouveau. Nouveau, mm. yes. It was a good Nouveau. And he, he arrived during the early part of the season. He's looking around. He says, yeah, yeah, does, does the building inspector live next door? I said, yes. And it turns out that a friend of Myron's from Seattle, I think his last name was West, yes. had ta undertaken the search of the Holy Grail for vineyard land back way back in the day, yesterday. And he decided this was the place from all of his mm -hmm. little factors. And he planted a couple of acres of gra grapes just off the driveway that he came up. And we didn't know of that because the guy, Frank, who we bought the place from, tore him out and planted wheat. And when we heard the story from Myron, it was like, oh, yeah, cool. And this guy actually showed up on the doorstep, I don't know, 15 years later. Yeah. And it was him. And it felt kind of sad because he was very wistful, you know, he said, oh, you know, and you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here. What are you do? <laughs> yeah, that was a nice little story. Yeah. Got any more? Yeah, mm. but I'll see what he asks next. <laughs> what I was going to ask was about sort of other pests and viruses that, that have come across. I know red blotch is something people are worried about now and, and other things like that. I'm curious how information has changed for you as you've gotten into the industry more and how you prepare for things like that? Well, first off, we're very fortunate that wine grapes in the Willamette Valley don't have a lot of pests. We have powdery mildew and an occasional bunch rot. Mm -hmm. And those are easily addressed. Um, the other stuff, remember, what was the fly? DSW? I mean, oh, we, yeah. we have brush fires, you know, and they kind of roll through the industry. And by and large, we let the research people research it and try not to get our hair on fire because truthfully, there's not much you can do. Uh, we were just, the other day, Dustin and I were at a, the tech group meeting talking about trunk diseases. Oh, that's not good, you know, and it's not good, mm -mm. but everybody's got them. And, and we still, as an industry, don't understand the implications of all of that. 
you know, it's, you can liken it to your body. You've got bacteria and, and nasty things cruising around in yourself also. Mm -hmm. So we're, in this, we're a little bit of the biodynamic phase of saying if you treat your property properly, it will stand a much better chance of being survivable and healthy. Mm -hmm. So right now, with the exception of phylloxera, we're not, who knows what's coming. Sure. Just got to just got to roll with it. So, so you basically you're, you're basically trying to keep things as healthy and clean as you can and then just sort of react to what happens. Unless you see, I mean, you know, if the train's coming at you and it's a real one, you need to be aware of that and do what you can. Uh, but, you know, the red blotch, mm -hmm. it's here if it's here. There, you don't do something for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> keep your vines healthy. You're trying to, well, yeah, I mean, yes, and make them as healthy as they can to, to fight whatever it is. Dustin, do you have yeah. anything to add? Yeah. Oh, you do? Well, I don't know. Dustin's been spots, watching. I don't know. Go on over. You can, you, you can, you can chime in. Okay. <laughs> what was the question? Or what were... Just sort of talking about how you prepare for and deal with sort of diseases and viruses that are that are affecting. Well, I agree with I agree with what Dad said about it's there's not a lot you can do, but I think that the industry has changed in the last 15 years a lot because there's so many more acres planted, and we have things here that weren't an issue in the 80s and 90s. So there's and it's always going to be like that. There's always going to be new stuff rolling through, but. There, there, there are more pests than there were, and you just got to kind of listen to people that know more than you and keep an eye on things, sure. not ignore things. So, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's, there's things like the mites that weren't an issue ten years ago. Very true. true. Yeah. And it's just because there's so many more producers out there and so much more wood coming into the state and it's just the way it is so yeah that's true monoculture yeah yeah, yeah. for sure so yeah i don't know what Oh, you've said enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go work. <laughs> Somebody's got it. It's always nice to have a little cameo appearance in our It is. Yes, you never know what's lurking. <laughs> so now that you've been here for a considerable amount of time, I'm mm -hmm. curious what is it that makes this vineyard special? Like, is there a certain something about the terroir here that makes it special? Would you like to answer? Oh, it's special. No, it, it, the terroir. I, I think it is different here because I mean this whole thing about our new um, AVA, the Mount Pisgah Polk County AVA. There's something about the way we don't. We're we're in a rain shadow. I mean, help me, Dan. You, rain shadow, the Belpine soil. It's it's not as cool as some of our um, wineries say it is. They, I mean, we we just aren't like in the heat of the Dundee Hills, mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's special in that way. I, I think there's something in the soil that, there makes, is. that really makes the prunes were good, the grapes taste good. Um, it's part of the AVA is a geological perspective, and the oldest soil in the valley is here, in and amongst us mm -hmm. here. It, it just is. That's one of those undeniable things. And the French do have this right. The older the soil, the more 
the minerality is available to the roots. So that would you would expect some complexity, shall mm -hmm. we say? And that's what we have. And we're low enough to the valley floor, and we have a kind of a. If y'all drove in from the 99 mm -hmm. side, you came through that little valley, and so the heat from the this valley floor will rise up here, and there's also gives an opportunity for the cool air to flow out. Mm -hmm. So spring frosts are not a big issue here, uh, and fall frosts aren't, uh, as they aren't now for most people, given a bit of a change in the recent weather. Um, but yeah, it's different. It's different. They just, just, this site and sites around us just produce a different sort of wine than 20 miles from here. Sure. And that's what makes this really guy, really a nice thing. People's palates are all different. I'm sure there are people who just can't stand wines from here. And they don't buy them. And it's really good that not, we're not all alike. Mm -hmm. So, but it's different. So let's, let's talk about the new AVA, or sub-AVA we were talking about. So Mount Piscopal County mm -hmm. is coming soon, so hopefully. So what's the, what was the impetus behind getting that started? We thought about it a number of years ago. We just didn't have the, we didn't have the go get them attitude to get it done. And then Dan started getting calls from the Kendall Jackson representative that was here. And he wanted to name it Mammoth Independence, and he wanted it to, to cover from like Ricreal down to below Suver, over to Buena Vista. And honestly, I didn't like it. And I wrote him a letter, and he really didn't have much. You know, I tried to be welcoming, but I also said, hey, you know, I mean, I don't think that really fits. I've been here a long time, and it doesn't really fit. And other people in our little area felt the same way and so we got going and we did it yes we did took us about a year yeah to, con to have some kind of consensus it was you know that's always an interesting process <laughs> and we well, basically got most of it yeah several years ago when we first looked at this there was only one winery here it was Illahi mm -hmm. and it just didn't make sense for a vineyard to to be the driving force of an AVA and so we all just said, yeah, there's not just that critical mass to make it happen. And perhaps it was um, the, what you suggest was oh, the influence. Oh, I think so. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, Kittle Jackson's great, but I just, we, I just didn't agree with their. It would have been a large AVA. It just didn't make sense to me at all. And until yeah. other people, Brad Ford, you know, who wrote, the, who wrote it. And mm -hmm. Yeah. The, it, it became enough presence of wineries and growers that it, and enough difference in between this little spot and the, the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to be a tiny AVA if it gets approved, and it's not altered by um, comments. Sure. That's true. Uh, you never yeah. know. So since you brought up Kendall Jackson, let's, let's talk about Kendall Jackson and their entree into the state. And I know this was, Polk County was one of the first places they really came in before they started buying wineries. Mm -hmm. Uh, what what has that been like? How has the how has the reaction been from the people who've been here? May I? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really been good. Yeah. It's been positive. Yeah, they're, I think they're so good too. folks, good good uh, collaborators, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. We, generally speaking, we don't brush elbows because well, we don't sell to them. 
they're not trying to buy us. The only thing I brushed elbows with Eugenia Keegan is around the um, the, the hotel uh, for independence um, mm -hmm. on the waterfront. I was a part of a group that really was trying to promote independence mm -hmm. and and have the wine industry be a part of that. And she came right on. And of course, that was a great player to have on mm -hmm. that because of what they're doing. And so, so that, that's what that big project is. And that's a big hotel going in. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. Yeah. For, for this area. So, nice. Yeah. This is just a reflection of the growth of the industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, and it's been a good addition. That's what I would say to I this. Too. Yeah. We need people who can suck up a lot of fruit mm -hmm. and their own plus. And I think they will not be the last. And, you know, that, that's fine. I personally want a lot of people in this business because I think what we do, we do really well. That's I'm not that's immodest of me to say, but I think that you know that's not a bad thing for us personally because not everybody that comes in is going to be able to do things well, right. and so that's going to help us kind of spread the the bell curve out a little ways, and the people who are very professional and have good sites will be rewarded. So, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the other changes you've seen in the industry, besides just the pure growth of the industry? What are some of the other changes you've seen since you entered into it? Size. Just numbers. numbers. People from, I don't know, we all came from somewhere else, but it seems like the people that are, a lot of the people that are coming now still have more have more money, more professionals, even though I know a lot of us were that way, and it just seems that way mm -hmm. to me. Um, well, yeah. can I jump? Early on, we would have an industry meeting at uh, the state fair in one of the big buildings, and the whole industry was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you may not know everybody, but you, oh yeah, you know, and from Southern Oregon and, and wherever, and now, uh, well, we're pretty, we're part of that older generation now. We know people that we knew then, mm -hmm. which is not a lot, in, you know, percentage-wise. Well, you and Ted are the only ones still left of our little group that we all had, and Mark, and Ken, <laughs> <laughs> still doing anything, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, either they've, you know, they just can't do it because of their age and... Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and the profile of, the, of our area has grown. I mean, it, that's a wonderful thing, I, I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, more people will move here, so maybe not so much. But um, I, I, don't know, I don't know. You know, there are more wineries. Mm -hmm. More people are being successful making and selling their product. Um, it's more uh, sophisticated, which sometimes I, I um, mourn the less sophistication. You know, when you'd walk into David Lett's tasting room on a little wood table, and there he was behind the bar, you know, and... So I sort of mourn some of that, but on the other hand, there's some really, oh, lovely, attractive, beautiful things happening with, with what the wineries mm -hmm. are doing, and I, I can't begrudge anyone of that. Yeah. It's great. It's and cool. along that line, the industry in that day was your station wagon with a bunch of cases in the back, just mm -hmm. driving all over, thinking that you're going to sell everything in Oregon. <laughs> well, you, you can't grow very big if that's actually what happens, and so that model uh, and we don't really know much about that, but that that has changed. Mm -hmm. Instead of your station wagon, you're flying and suitcasing it to 
where people live. Sure. Well, the first big, the first big <coughs> super duper winery that we dealt with was King Estate. And that was really something, you know, because it was pretty magnificent what mm -hmm. they did. You know, of course, other people are doing just as magnificent things now, but uh, it was pretty magnificent. You know, I want to tell you something about me before we, sure. th when you talk about the question about, um, about how do I see things change. You know, I was one of the founders of Women for Wine Sense, mm -hmm. and we were so grassroots. Um, and we did this trunk museum for the Gilbert House and for other children's museums that kids could learn about grape growing, and we made a film, and we did lots of other things I know you've probably heard about from other mm -hmm. people, because I know you've interviewed a bunch of my friends. That, um, and I don't see that happening like that so much now either. And I, I've been thinking about that actually the last couple of weeks. It's like, you know, we, 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 did, we didn't, really, didn't really keep it up. Mm -hmm. The balance, the whole idea of balance, you know, and I really, really have believed in that my whole parts of my life with working with people as well as in, in terms of wine uh, consumption. So I just, that's a change. I don't think we're really, we're really, we need, that's a project for, one of your students. <laughs> you know. So, True. anyway. True. It's it's grown. It, it's, I'm curious if you had any any sense of a of this kind of growth as potential when you started. Did you have any idea that the industry could could get like this? No. <laughs> oh. We were just remarkably naive, and we weren't alone. Mm -hmm. We sought comfort from other. Um, folks of the same <laughs> status. <laughs> no, we didn't know. Um, we didn't know what we wanted to have happen. We just thought we were going to 20 acres, 20 acres, 20 acres, five years from now, Fat City. And, you know, we didn't even know what that meant. We, didn't, we, we had no idea what that really meant. And um, so, no, we had no concept. Just thought it was a good idea. It and was it, a good was. idea. By golly. <laughs> and people like us. Yeah. Oh, you know what else, too? You haven't asked us this one yet, but I'm going to tell you. It's not a political name. It's a, it's a feeling. Freedom Hill Vineyard. And we really decided not to name it Duché because people can't spell it, can't say it. Mm -hmm. It's a great name, Duché, by the way. But we, we just, I don't know. We went up. We had Dustin on the, our backpack. We were at the very top of our hill, which is really a cool view up there, looking out over the wheat fields. And then we started having to think how cool it felt and what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. And then we just sort of went home and thought about what are we going to name this thing. And we came up with that and said, that fits the best. So that's, that's how our name got to be what it is. It's a good and name. it's trademarked and all that stuff. <laughs> so anyway. And it's ironic. You know, the sense of freedom that you were yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about, of course, didn't translate because it's work. You got no freedom. You're, you're quite the opposite. Uh, but you weren't in a cubicle anymore. That is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> Stand corrected. Yeah. What do you th where do you hope or where do you see the industry going in the next decade? What, what, be, what do you hope it will happen or what, what do you think will happen? I hope that everybody gets it, that Oregon makes the best Pinot Noir in the United States. I'm not sure everybody always gets that, and I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, all my little, pub, our little publications, you know, Spectator, Enthusiast, you know, all those guys, all those things. I really, I really hope that they get it, that we have just really, because the winemaking has come so far. I can't believe how far the winemaking is. It's just so incredibly mm -hmm. how they, what they can do with, with the fruit these days. Mm. Um, and I hope it, 
maintains a sense of, um, industry maintains a sense of close relationship, even though it's bigger. It's so important. It's such a friendly, it's such a friendly industry, such a people industry, and that we continue to give to each other the way we were given to and try to now. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the, this is a, one of the very few industries where the consumer and the producer and I, I guess we're producers and the wine people mm -hmm. are all together mm -hmm. in the same room, literally in the same room. And you can share that experience and, and that's, that's an intimacy that really needs to be present or it is. People seek it out. Um, I haven't really thought about your question before you voiced it. It's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, we're, we're pretty much nose to the grindstone. We want to make sure that Freedom Hill retains whatever it was that made us successful to the extent we are. We want to make sure that that gets translated on. And whatever happens is going to happen. Yeah, because we're going to do it in a good kind of way with people and mm -hmm. with growing the best we can. And that's what I'd want for the rest of the industry. Yeah. Because it's been a blessing. Yeah, we, we try not to plan for other people. <laughs> sure. And I mean, there are visionaries in our industry, and we, that's, that's wonderful, but that's not how I'm personally wired. I'm more of a, you know, a much smaller focus. So. What advice would you have for someone wanting to enter the wine industry today? Well, today you need a lot of money which is, a, a, that's a big change mm -hmm. from yesteryear. I think people like us who came in with, turned out to be kind of marginal capital, um, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be really difficult because they're gonna be competing against people who are able to assess a situation and address it quicker mm -hmm. and with more bang than uh, what we would have had at that time. It would have been tough for us to, to compete. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's different now is that education is available in this area, mm -hmm. and I would I would really suggest that people get that some of that at least some of that education mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot to consider. I mean, depending on which piece you're going to go into, and you're much able to go to work for somebody else now than you were, you know, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. um, unless you wanted to be one of our crew bosses <laughs> <laughs> or you know. A, a wine rat, you know, there's, there just wasn't that much. People were out doing their own marketing and everything. So mm -hmm. I think getting the education is really important. And, and, and actually, for people that want to go into it, spend some time, just like Dan did with Terry Castile for two years. Did he want to be a winemaker? No. I mean, you got to really think about this. This is what I want my life to be. Sure. So. This is a difference. See, she's more of the, the, the global perspective. And here I'm doing this little tiny thing. I'm saying, oh, you need money. <laughs> and you also need the site. You know, that's that's the the best deal. You, that's yeah. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the if people are going to plant vineyards, yes. Yeah, you have to. You can't make it happen if it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And if it's supposed to happen, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what fun! Yeah. So that's all the questions that I have scheduled for you. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Anything I should have asked that I did not ask? Hmm. Let me think a second. Yeah. Any stories you want to tell that you haven't told? I do have a story. Perfect. 
It was two o'clock in the morning. We're, we were remodeling our house. So I was sleeping downstairs in one of the kids' bedroom. We put two twin beds together. I realized Dan wasn't there. Like, what the heck? Oh, it was October too, harvest. And we had a Ford flatbed truck and he was on his way to Langs. And if any of you know where Langs is, up that Warden Hill Road, you know, up on Buena Vista, mm -hmm. read it out, and he had lost a load of grapes. This is true. And I might let you tell the rest of the story. Well, it wasn't the only load I've ever lost. Let's, we, <laughs> I don't want to be bragging or anything, but you know, um, yeah, this truck had a steel bed on it, and we used ropes during that era, not cargo straps like we do now. And yeah, just rattled off and just kept going down the hill and <laughs> called the Langs. It was dark. And they said, oh, yeah, we know where you are. We've done this before. So they came down, <laughs> and we saved most of them. Pitchforked it all back it, in. The good news is it was Pinot Gris, so it, it really didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, so he yeah. got home at 2 o'clock that night. And we had to get up the next morning at 5.30 or 6 and go at it again, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. That, oh. was, that was a good one. Yeah, that's old equipment one. is not good. You know, I, I would wake up during harvest, well, with really nightmares, thinking that my brakes were going out, going to Erath, going down that oh. steep hill, you know, because they, they really didn't work. They're not even air brakes. And so, yeah, I'd wake up with that, and, you know, Jesus, take my wheel, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there are a lot of those kind of stories. Yeah, but harvest. We don't have to talk about We those. don't have to know anymore there's that now. What else? Oh, yeah, just, you know, equipment stuff. You know, it's, we had one day where when you're controlling birds, you know, birds show up and you have these little pistols with shotgun noises and stuff, mm -hmm. fly up in the air and blow up. One blew up right here, and so it's, I was pretty much deaf at that point. Same day, we had a tractor tire blowout on our our loading vehicle, you know, the tractor with the forklift on mm -hmm. it. So I borrowed the one from the next door to finish the load, and it was extremely unstable. So we, a load of our a bin fell off, not good. And something else happened that day. I think there might have been a flat on the truck. It was just a cascade a of events. Day. It <laughs> bad just harvest sucked. Day. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't got, very cool. We got through it. Yeah. Yeah. You persevere. Yeah. That's why we're still here. Yeah. And we have really good people that work for us, too. That's helpful. That is good, yes. Yeah. The first few years, we would sit around the kitchen, kitchen table several times a year, and we would have the conversation, should we just stop? Because it was, it was quite challenging. And we said, eh, yeah, we should keep going. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Because we bought high, and right after we bought property, the whatever happened in the Midwest happened, and land values crashed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are you going to do? It's okay now, though. I hope. Seems to be. <laughs> yeah. We, Yes, we have valuable property, but we have no money still. <laughs> that's, the, that's what farmers do, right? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's good. We're, we're very grateful. Was there, besides just not having an idea what else to do, was there anything else that kept you going? Did you have kind of a light at the end of the tunnel? Like, was there a, a point you were looking for at which point you'd be successful? No. No. I, no. I, 
don't know about that, but we have a great relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I, I think that we really, I think we really like living here. We really like the lifestyle we had. Mm -hmm. I know you worked really hard. Well, no, I, I, I like it also, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that success is, is a continuing thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you enjoy the, the momentary thing, but I firmly believe that whatever field you're in, if you're just say, well, I'm there, you, oh, I almost said you should be a tenured professor, <laughs> but you know, you can, you can just, you might as well stop because you have stopped. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we need, we need to get better and we will get better. Mm -hmm. And Dustin's really taken the bit on that and improved the place already. And we're just wait, looking for the next generation to come yeah. along and, and continue that. Yeah. We're very fortunate. We have been. Geez, health-wise, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Hang in there. Just don't dwell on the bad other than when somebody asks you a question about <laughs> it. But no, it's good. He's really smart. That's what's really been cool. And um, yes, we did like living here. We had lots of other mm -hmm. fun things we did here on this with our kids and our families and mm -hmm. our friends that we've told you about. And mm -hmm. Good so, people in this business. Yeah, really good people in this business. And um, yeah. Yeah, the bad people don't survive. Oh. You should write that down. <laughs> anyway, no, you've done well. I, I, I don't, other than just rambling. Yeah, we don't want to there. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. We really appreciate your time and, and your answers and your candor. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.